This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, October 26, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Okay, let's try this again. Britain's new prime minister is Rishi Sunak. Among his first acts as PM, undoing some of the reforms adopted by his immediate predecessor, Liz Truss. Cato's Ryan Bourne has followed Sunak's rise to prime minister and argues that even as Britons face higher energy prices and an unstable pound, big policy reforms are probably not on the agenda. Rishi Sunak is the new prime minister of the United Kingdom. He was formerly the chancellor of the Exchequer, which is kind of like the UK's um, equivalent of treasury secretary under Boris Johnson. And uh, he ran for conservative leader when Boris Johnson was ejected. Um, He ran against Liz Truss, um, who uh, was now the former prime minister. And the big divide between them really was over UK tax policy. Rishi Sunak had overseen um, a tax plan that would have seen the the total UK tax burden rise to its highest level since World War II. Uh, Liz Truss wanted to freeze and reverse some of those uh, tax rises. Uh, She won that election. uh, But of course, um, after the kind of market and financial turmoil that was seen after her mini budget, she was forced out by the Conservative Party. And so Rishi Sunak has been uh, kind of coronated by the Conservative Party as her replacement without a a kind of competitive uh, election. So now he is uh, in the driving seat. We should probably understand distinctions between what the Conservative Party stands for and where they sort of come down on a lot of issues as, you know, as differentiated from what we would expect conservative Republicans to believe or advocate for in the US. Yes, the Conservative Party is a fairly a broad church in the United Kingdom. So uh, there are different tribes contained within it. So, you know, delineating a a kind of clear ideology is often quite difficult. There are a group of members of parliament who would consider themselves sort of Thatcherites. They generally believe in a a smaller state, uh, lower taxes and a light touch uh, regulatory regime. Uh, But among that group, they themselves can often differ over the extent to which they're willing to tolerate extra borrowing, say, for tax cuts. Uh, but then there are many other groups. There's a there's a rich tradition uh, of One Nation Conservative MPs who are kind of quite paternalistic and believe that the government needs to exist to provide extensive welfare and, and kind of support and security, uh, particularly for the poorer uh, households uh, in the population. And then there are more traditionalists as well. I think the main major difference with uh, US conservatives, though, is that uh, perhaps as a result of many social issues being determined um, democratically within the parliament, as opposed to kind of judgments of rights within a Supreme Court, uh, social issues tend to not dominate politics to the same extent that they do here. So you'd very rarely hear um, conservative members of parliament debating the pros and cons of abortion, for example. Uh, so th- that I think is the the key difference on economics. You know, there traditionally has been a kind of from more free market attitude among conservative MPs, but I would argue that that's been kind of dissipating over the last two decades. And you know, we're we're seeing those divisions within the party um, in regards to the reaction to Liz Truss's agenda and now the uh, instalment of Sunak as leader. So let, let's understand the Liz Truss agenda and and why it was rejected. She, you know, as you and I discussed not that long ago, as she. Uh, took the the office of prime minister, uh, it seemed to be that she was going to be advancing a spending cut, tax cut, and regulatory cut 
regime, what happened? Well, she led with the tax cuts. Um, and in the grand scheme of things, they weren't particularly radical um, at an individual level of changes. She wanted to freeze the corporation tax rate, which was due to rise pretty significantly. She wanted to uh, reverse a recent tax increase of the social security taxes for employees and employers. Uh, but then she went further than that on the day uh, of her mini budget and actually cut the basic rate of income tax and abolish the very top highest rate of income tax as well, which she believed um, was deterring kind of successful scientists, um, athletes, um, businessmen from coming to the UK. Now, uh, she led with these tax cuts, I think, because they were much easier to do than some of the supply side regulatory reform or the spending cuts. Um, but, you know, doing all of those tax cuts in one go added to an extensive a set of energy subsidies that she kind of introduced um, to counter some of the impacts of rising gas prices in Europe meant that her government was set to borrow vast, vast amounts of money. And uh, I think it's fair to say that markets took fright at that. Um, it's not entirely clear how much of that was due to the scale of the borrowing as opposed to uh, not really knowing uh, how much borrowing there would be and how that would affect interest rates and so the returns on government debt, you know, the the yields on bonds. But as a result of that, markets went haywire, the, the pound became extremely volatile. And since then, markets have been pretty bond markets have been pretty much hooked to UK political developments, with any indication of a more fiscally conservative stance tending to lead to to um uh, reductions in borrowing costs. So um from that moment really uh, trust was on borrowed time. Uh, I think she wanted to react to, to react to that by trimming government spending. But every kite that her team flew of potential uh, spending cuts or restraint, um, conservative backbench MPs made clear that they would not vote for any uh, kind of painful spending cuts. And as a result of that, she kind of had nowhere to go and so ended up reversing on her whole agenda. And when you're in government but not in power, it's a very, very difficult place to be. And uh, it wasn't a surprise to me from then that she was ejected soon after. All right. So Rishi Sunak, what's how, how do his plans differ? Obviously, the uh, price of uh, home heating will increase uh, whether he likes it or not. Uh, what are what are his plans to manage this? Well, he could be extremely lucky in one regard because gas prices in Europe are, have actually fallen pretty substantively over the last few weeks. Uh, and as a result of that, the, the government's kind of system of price caps and energy subsidies is going to be a lot less expensive um, than originally envisaged. They've also said that they will only maintain that um, for six months rather than the full two years, which is what uh, Liz Truss first introduced. Um, so there's been that change. Um, kind of beyond that, I think it's fair to say that Sunak is much more of a fiscal conservative and he's shown that he's not afraid to raise taxes in order to um, avoid borrowing. Um, so he's benefiting from lower borrowing costs as a result of that uh, credibility. But, you know, more broadly, his economic attitudes, I think, are very conventional wisdom. Um, and and I, I say that in a more derogatory uh, way. I don't think you'll see anything particularly exciting or radical within Sunak's plans. I think he will try to increase the growth rate of the economy, but through 
um, you know, kind of micro changes to policy. He spent much of his leadership campaign arguing against liberalizing Britain's land use planning laws, which most people regard as one of the biggest nooses around the uh, economy's neck. Um, and he actually appealed to a bunch of the farming community in a way that suggested that he would protect their interests rather than the interests of consumers in signing free trade deals. So um, I think it will pretty much be steady as she goes with Sunak. Um, and that's the big disappointment for kind of libertarians, because although you know we can argue over the strategy, I think it was clear that Liz Truss wanted to take the country in a direction where there was a much uh, lighter footprint of the state on economic and social life. Is there an appetite among uh, British conservatives to undertake the the difficult work, as you mentioned, of uh, a deregulation or liberalizing trade? I'm not particularly hopeful on that. There may be some things on the margin that they will be willing to do. But one of Sunak's first acts as prime minister has been to reverse the end of the moratorium that Truss introduced on banning fracking in the UK. So fracking was banned under Boris Johnson. Uh, Liz Truss uh, liberalised that last week or the week before, and Rishi Sunak's first act has been to reverse that. Now, uh, if Conservative MPs are unwilling to consider the possibility of fracking during an energy crisis that has seen uh, British household bills go up so substantively, I don't see any real hope that they'll uh, be willing to undertake the much more politically difficult reforms to land use planning, particularly around residential housing, um, or perhaps the deregulation of some of the childcare sector or other things that really seem to uh, generate hostile blowback from what Trust described as an anti-growth coalition. Uh, all, all sitting in the background of this is uh, our problems with the pound. And it's its movements, which have been have been reacting in large part to a lot of these political events. But uh, I don't think I don't uh, certainly most Americans have not followed it very closely, but it certainly has played a role here. Yes, I think that's undoubtedly true. There was a big decline in the value of the pound in the immediate aftermath um, of Liz Truss's mini budget um, as people were selling off at UK assets. Um, I think that was worsened by in you know, the first weekend after that mini budget, where I think markets could have done with some assurance that um, the government still took debt seriously. Um, the the former Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng at the time went onto the radio and TV and said that he was planning to do more tax cuts next year, which added fuel to the fire. Um, it's fair to say though that the the pound recovered fairly quickly in the week um, after that, and actually now has kind of settled, I believe, around the level that it that it was just prior to the mini-budget uh, being introduced. So it's volatility as opposed to a, a kind of permanent decline in the value of the pound relative to other countries that we've seen. And of course, this is coming in a period of, uh, where there's been real dollar strength um, because of the Federal Reserve increasing uh, interest rates uh, more aggressively than the European Central Bank or the Bank of England. You said steady as she goes. It seems like there's not going to be any major policy initiative, quite frankly, except to undo Liz Truss's policy initiatives. Yes, on the steps of Downing Street, uh, you know, earlier this week on Tuesday when Sunak was introduced, he um, he kind of said that mistakes had been made under the former prime minister and his major job was to 
correct them. Beyond that, uh, what, what might we see on economic policy? Well, I think the best articulation of like Sunak's longer-term vision was in his May lecture um, earlier this year um, in London. And if you read that, he does acknowledge that UK economic growth has been too slow for too long. Um, and he suggests a number of different, uh, quite small-scale policies to try to improve it. So one is to improve the generosity of allowances uh, for investment in plant and machinery, something that historically the UK government has been very stingy on. Another is to uh, invest more in technical education. I happen to think this is a bit of a red herring. I think most of uh, human... Most meaningful human capital is actually built on the job, not in formal kind of technical uh, education settings. Um, and he believes, you know, as we all do as economists, that actually innovation is the uh, most important route to growth. But, you know, he he seems to think that uh, more government investment in research and development spending coupled with tinkering with some tax incentives can meaningfully change that. I'm much more skeptical. Unfortunately, we've never really seen whether what Sunak would do in a kind of normal environment, because most of his time as chancellor was spent firefighting crises. First, the pandemic, obviously, uh, with uh, extensive um, support that was given to uh, maintain uh, workers' links with companies as companies were shuttered through his furlough scheme. He became the most popular chancellor in 15 years when he was showering the economy with money during the pandemic. And then, of course, once the pandemic dissipated, you had the fallout from the war in Ukraine as well. So it remains to be seen what sort of economic agenda Sunak would pursue once he, uh, you know, if, if he saw some stability in the economy. Um, he's one of these uh, politicians who pays lip service to the importance of markets and uh, low taxation, but all of his actions have been uh, to provide extensive relief, to intervene where he perceives it to be in the national interest, and raising taxes to their highest level since World War II. So I think the jury's out uh, as to whether his rhetoric uh, will be uh, echoed in the reality of his policies. Ryan Bourne occupies the R. Evan Scharf Chair for the Public Understanding of Economics at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>